Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I talk about matters of faith in the Bible and try to relate them to the issues that each of us face every day, whether we're profoundly religious or just like to explore life's mysteries. While I tend to begin addressing practical issues, this week I'm going to begin with something that may seem pretty hypothetical or divorced from everyday reality the connection, or disconnection if you like, of science and religion. Now stick with me for a few minutes and I hope to come back around to something that matters to you. At least that's my hope. In the meantime, let's turn to the Bible and start from the beginning. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. I received my undergraduate education from a small Lutheran liberal arts college in the Midwest, which shall go nameless in case they don't want to claim me as one of their graduates. My alma mater was known for its strong humanities curriculum, combined with a highly rated programs in biology and chemistry. I earned a double major in biology and English, which would hardly seem like a match made in academic heaven, but I consider myself lucky to have received a broad educational background. I managed to put both of my majors to work in my early teaching career. I began teaching at a large high school in California, which also shall remain nameless for the same reason, where I taught college prep biology a real plum teaching position for a beginning teacher. The curriculum I taught included genetics and evolution. Now, admittedly, the genetics we taught in 1977 seemed pretty primitive compared to the modern state of science. After a couple of years, due to personnel shifts, I was asked to switch to teaching AP British Literature, another plum of an assignment. I put aside my biology texts for the complete William Shakespeare and the works of the Victorian poets. I owe a big thank you to the anonymous Midwestern College for preparing me to be flexible. But here's where my life path gets really twisted. I left teaching, and my family and I packed up and headed back to the Midwest for me to attend a Lutheran seminary which, once again, shall go unnamed. There I was to study the Bible and theology and eventually serve as a pastor for the rest of my life. Through all of these twists and turns, my love of the life sciences and a deep interest in understanding the Bible and a curiosity for the mysteries of faith never came into conflict. In fact, one fed off of the other. Though science and faith may appear to make an odder couple than Felix Unger and Oscar Madison, experience has taught me differently. 
as I soon shall explain. For me, science was actually the birthplace of my faith. You can be excused for thinking that science and faith are completely at odds with one another. For example, if you read the works of self-proclaimed atheist bi biologist Richard Dawkins, you may think that scientists hold a deep loathing for people of faith. The title of his book, The God Delusion, speaks volumes. He thinks believers are delusional. Dawkins might second Ron Reagan, son of President Ronald Reagan, who says in his TV ads in support of the Freedom From Religions Foundation, Ron Reagan, lifelong atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. On the other hand, when some religious people have found out that I once taught evolution to young people, I was given the distinct opinion that I just might burn in hell. It may come as no surprise that many well-known scientists with real credentials in genetics and evolution are also people of faith. Many of my college science professors were, not all, but most of them. None of them I know find a great sense of mind-bending anxiety and conflict between these two areas of their lives and vocations. I also know many theologians biblical scholars and pastors who are well-versed in the sciences who likewise do not feel that they need to compromise their intellect to accommodate their faith. The best-known public confrontation between science, evolutionary science in particular, and religion occurred during the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trial, technically the state of Tennessee versus John Thomas Scopes. The trial pitted famous lawyer Clarence Darrow on the defense against three-time presidential candidate and former Secretary of State William Jennings Bryan for the prosecution. Instead of familiarity with the real trial, most of us draw from images of Spencer Tracy playing Darrow, embarrassing Bryan's fundamentalist biblical beliefs on the witness stand. In reality, although Scopes was convicted and fined, the verdict was reversed on a technicality, and the trial simply fueled a decades-long debate between religious fundamentalists and secularist modernists. Still goes on to this day. A deeper debate between science and faith, or at least science and the church, occurred centuries before the Scopes Monkey Trial, when the astronomer Galileo published his support of Copernicus' theory that the earth revolved around the sun. Galileo was convicted of heresy by the Roman Catholic Church in 1642 and was placed under house arrest for the remainder of his life. Galileo was officially pardoned by the church in 1992. The wheels of canon law and religious justice grind slowly, it seems. Today, there is an even more fundamental debate between science and religion than evolution versus creationism, the debate over the origins of the universe. The position of the religious is clear, as you can see from the opening passage from Genesis that I read. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. 
In the beginning, God created absolutely everything. God then went on to create every form of life, culminating with human beings. Beginning of story, end of story. Science seems to paint a different picture of creation. In the beginning was the Big Bang. Then, as the relatively new field of quantum mechanics explains, entropy took over in seconds, expanding the universe unimaginable distances until reined in by gravity, when mag matter coagulated into stars and elements and eventually organized itself to create human life. What God took six days to create, the Big Bang accomplished in a matter of minutes. This happened because of universal laws that pervade the universe. Now, the new physics has written God out of the equation quite literally. The end game, according to physicists, is not bright no matter how we slice the cosmic pie. Some physicists predict that eventually the expanding universe will collapse back upon itself and initiate another Big Bang. Nothing, absolutely nothing currently in existence will survive that contraction and explosion to the other side. A biblical term for that could be new creation. That would certainly seem to apply. Alternatively, some think that the evidence suggests that the universe will keep expanding and dispersing all matter and energy until it reaches maximum entropy. Astrophysicist Brian Greene puts it this way, Planets and stars and solar systems and galaxies and even the black hole are transitory. The end of each is driven by its own distinctive combination of physical processes spanning quantum mechanics through general relativity, ultimately yielding a mist of particles drifting through a cold, quiet cosmos. As T.S. Eliot ends his poem, Hollow Men, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. According to Green, the question is not whether you and I will die. We will. The question is not whether humanity will survive. It won't. The question is whether or not the phenomenon of thought, supported by the brain or computers or whatever, whatever, will persist permanently. Green finds that unlikely. Not only will we not be around to know anything, there won't even be such a thing as knowing. Thoughtful life and our conscious awareness of our own existence is just a brief crack of light between two vast darknesses. The reason most of us don't sit around and ponder questions like these, if you haven't figured it all out already, is that they would drive us to despair. I had a seminary professor who said, there's a special place in hell for people who ask questions like these. I started to enter a pretty dark place when I started down this path recently while reading Green's book until the end of time.
My scientific mind had a hard time refuting what he was saying. Like Ron Reagan at that point, I was not afraid of burning in hell. I was afraid of non-existence to even experience heaven or hell. Then Green opened the door crack and let the light in. He said, Notwithstanding centuries of scientific progress, we are no closer to answering the question raised by Gottfried Leibniz, and that is, why is there something rather than nothing? Even one of our great scientists had an answer, not, did not have an answer to that question. It's a good question. Science, with all its wondrous discoveries and practical invention, inventions, cannot penetrate beyond the Big Bang. Science cannot establish how the universal laws of physics and mathematics were established. Although the mechanisms of how the physical processes in the universe led to the emergence of life, they cannot explain human consciousness. The whole is still greater than the parts, and Green acknowledges the limits of science. Well, this is when I experienced my own Big Bang, the Big Bang of faith. The answer to what preceded the Big Bang is God. I'm not going back to the old first mover proof of God, which long ago stated that God must exist because someone or something had to start the whole shebang. No. My Big Bang was the creation of faith. Where science ends, faith only begins. Science has its own peculiar language, mathematics. Scientists propose theories and test them against physical reality. When those theories are successful, they lead to practical inventions that provide us with medical miracles, amazing technological labor-saving devices, and may one day allow us to travel to distant planets. Now, not all of us are smart enough to speak that language fluently, but we all benefit from the discoveries of those who can. Human beings communicate through other mediums as well. Art, music, literature. We can hear and see and smell the beauty of nature's blooming flowers and flowing streams. Faith has its own language, the language of heart and soul. It draws its inspiration not only from the Bible and other holy scriptures, but from the remnants of the Big Bang in the cosmos, the infinite spread of the stars in the night sky, and the blazing energy of the sun as it breaks forth at dawn. René Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Let me paraphrase him. I am. Therefore I am. There is no denying the existence of our souls which dwell deep within us. We might not be able to ex explain them or show them, but it's there. And it's there within the soul that God speaks to us through the language of faith. 
Nobody spoke the faith language better than the psalmist. And psalm, and no psalm addresses who we are better than Psalm 139, from which I draw this reading. For it was you, God, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. I don't speak the language of science very well anymore. I've been away from it too long, and the vocabulary has passed me by. Relatively few of us can speak that language. We must rely on the really smart folks for that. But all of us can speak and understand the language of faith. God has written the vocabulary on our hearts. God speaks to us in every act of loving kindness that we do or is done to us, or we even witness. God speaks to us through the sighs of our prayers. God speaks to us in big bangs of faith and faint whispers in the night. God was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. Please come back again. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. Goodbye.